0: actually people for whom the world appears to work. (laughs) We all all know people like that. Uh, They've got the child and the career and the marriage and the weed eater (laughs) and the cuisine art. Uh, They've got the, uh, the boa constrictor and the canary. And the boar constrictor doesn't eat the canary. Uh, they've got the latias, and no bark drops from their latias. <laughs> their tile never needs grouting. Their tales never go out. <laughs> they can grow uh, asparagus and whole beans in the same garden. Now, the funny thing is that you are that person to a group of people. So just think about it. There are a number of people who think that the world works for you. Isn't that funny? (laughs) I know because there are people who think that the world works for me. It's an interesting thing about uh, fame or reputation or notoriety. First of all, whenever you receive any of it, you immediately realize that it's totally comparative. And so now there's a whole group of people above you who are much better known than you are sell far more books. So you're not really well-known. And then there's another phenomenon that isn't apparent from a distance, and that is that both condemnation and praise come from the ego. And it seems that praise would be much more desirable than condemnation. But praise carries with it a demand. Whenever anyone admires you, or in any way put you above them, they will immediately start throwing stones at you to get you back down on their level. And along with the... Well, I knew you weren't the kind of person to uh, drive a uh, General Motors car, or whatever it is they say when they meet you, you see. Uh, I knew you weren't the kind of person who... Along with the praise comes a demand... So those of you who may be thinking of seeking uh, a wider reputation, to be better known, please notice that with each increase of being better known comes a demand. And the demand is not a happy one. You're now supposed to act in a certain way. You're supposed to look a certain way. Your life is supposed to run in a certain way. And if you happen to find yourself in a situation in which there is a great deal of uh, attention being devoted to you, you feel very much like a freak in a carnival. Uh, People aren't actually relating to you. You can see this glazed look in their eye. And you're not actually there. You're not actually a part of the conversation. And that, of course, is true of everything that the world holds out. We all know about the big things that it holds out. Fame and fortune and good career, happy marriage, attractive home. And we all know that as we have gotten our little piece of that, that it wasn't what we thought it would be. And so we went for the next piece. Now the real surprise is not that because that's always the way it's been. Whenever we've gotten any increase in what the world says is desirable we've immediately seen the tarnish in it. That shouldn't surprise us. What should surprise us is that people still complain so bitterly about this uh, that they're that their drip irrigation dribbles instead of drips, you see. And the guy said it would work. And now the grass is growing into the little holes and so forth. And uh, McDonald's, I mean, if you can't rely on McDonald's, what can you rely I mean, what is there to rely on? Did you see that the health department, local health department, posted a, a little thing on the notice saying that their kitchen was unsanitary? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <clears throat> Local, the local McDonald's. Why does this surprise us? Did you notice that Ronald Reagan got a gray hair? <laughs> Why does this surprise us, you see? There was a very well-known, still is well-known evangelist, married a couple a year or so ago and they discovered that he had slept with both of them before he married them. (laughs) Why does this surprise us? It's actually funny that, that there's all this excitement generated on the evening news about one catastrophe and failure after another and maybe for many of you the evening news has become the best sitcom there is on television I think I've mentioned here you know the time that Reagan uh, suggested that everybody light a candle for something I forget what it was for the Pope for Poland well (laughs) (laughs) Picky picky.
1: <laughs>
0: and CBS covered the uh, story on the evening news by showing the house that had burned down because of the. <laughs> <laughs> Why does this surprise us any longer, you see? And there's such a freedom in beginning to realize this just a little bit, that the world on an ego level, on a perceptual level, is just one thing after another. It it, uh, it may seem to work for a while, the new whatever it is you just bought, spouse or whatever it may be. <laughs> But not for very long and why should that surprise us it's never been any other way it will never be any other way but if it weren't for those people for whom the world appears to work we would stop this frantic endless fruitless search so the next time that you find yourself looking at someone and thinking that the world works for this individual just look calmly, look peacefully, and look a little closer. Don't be surprised because uh, so-and-so burns himself up and he's rich and famous, and or so-and-so kills himself, or so-and-so takes too many pills and so forth, and this constant thing that we see in the magazines and on the news of, uh, of the people who seem to have it all killing themselves in one form or another, killing themselves. There is another kind of news that should delight us, that should preoccupy us. There was a woman in our grief group, I don't believe I've told this story here, have I? Uh, Where she went to uh, spread the ashes. Her husband, the uh, very well-known columnist, died. He wanted to live in Taos, Wanted his home to be there. But he never made it. He had a heart attack and he died. And this woman ended up in our grief group because she'd already moved here, New Mexico. She had his ashes in an urn. And finally, the day came in which she decided that she had to do something about this, and that the thing that she had to do was to take his ashes to Taos, to a beautiful setting, and throw the ashes up in the wind and let his remains be there. So she got up early one morning. She's a woman, I'd say, about 65. got up before the sun came up, drove to Española. first thing that happened was, in Española, was that uh, she stopped at a filling station and the the attendant came out and invited her in and said, "Uh, would you like to have a sandwich and some coffee? This was very, very early in the morning. He didn't know anything about what was going on. She went in and had something to eat. They talked a while, she got back in her car. She drove up into the mountains, found a very, very lovely spot. She released the ashes, and a little fall wind came along right at that time, took the ashes and put them all over the hillside. Unlike my, uh, my grandfather, who... Uh, when they threw the ashes out the airplane window all the ashes blew back into the plane. (laughs) I tell you that so that you will not get this romantic feeling about ashes, you see. Once again, it can go either way. And she'd no longer done this when she looked back and she saw below her, on the hill below her, uh, two low riders, and they were watching her. The, there was a couple, I think, in each car, and they were standing there and they were watching her. And she suddenly got scared. Espanola low rider, <laughs> single woman. But she got in her car and she started down the hill. And one of the low riders got in front of her, and the other low rider oh. got behind her. She didn't know what, what was happening. She was a little bit scared, but she wasn't as scared as she thought she ought to be. And as they traveled on back through the back roads, back down to Santa Fe, every once in a while, another lowrider would come in and take the place of the one in front. Or another lowrider would come and take the one in place in back. And every once in a while, there would be a police car that would come and take the place of the one in front or on back and every few minutes this little procession would stop at the house of a of a spanish family and she would be invited in and no one spoke any english they would invite her in they would come out and it, <clears throat> she had to stop because the car in front and back would stop They'd invite her in and they'd give her something to eat and show her pictures family and ask if she had any pictures and she'd show her pictures. She'd go back and get in her car and continue on, then the procession would stop at another house. And it took her all day long to get back home. It wasn't until dark that she got back to Santa Fe. This happened all the way. Changing of roll riders and police cars and so forth when she woke up the next morning she thought it must have been an hallucination this could not have happened but then she started receiving little cards in the mail and on the anniversary of her husband's burial she received cards every year from these people now that's what should make the news you see I know a couple uh, Clark and Mary Mary Healings who went to um, see Old oh God movie Old oh God they came out of it and uh, I may have told some of you this story they came out of the movie and they said, gosh, wouldn't it be nice if the world were like that? And they walked over their car and they said, yes, but it's not that way. And uh, got in their car and they turned on the ignition. And it was dead. And about that time, the window rolled down in the pickup truck next to, the, to their car. And an old guy leaned over and said, oh, you're back. He said, I saw your lights were on and... Uh, I just decided to wait because I, I knew you'd need a hot shot,
1: <laughs>
0: and Clark said, "Well, how long have you been waiting? He said, Oh, oh, just about half an hour. I didn't have anything to do Now, if he had mugged and raped them, <laughs> that would have made the news. You see. <laughs> So we have before us two worlds. One of them simply cannot satisfy us. And the only thing to do is just to let it slip by. There's that wonderful uh, little image in uh, Illusions, Richard Bach's Illusions, in which there are the little people, you know, that live on the bottom of the stream, and they all hold on to the rocks. And uh, one day, this little society of people One of the people in there decides to let go of the rock and be carried down the stream. This insane idea, you see. And he lets go and he floats up above all the others that are clinging to the rocks. And they look up and they say, the Messiah! (laughs) And that, of course, is what the Messiah is. That's That's when we become the Messiah. That's when we become the child of God. That's when we become the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Is simply when we let go. When we fail to catch a hold. This is another one of my favorite phrases. To catch a hold. That's actually what we do. Because here is the world slipping by. As we've been told so many times, this is just a dream. It's slipping by us. The only mistake we can make is to catch a hold. Here's all these problems. They are all different colors and they glitter and they they growl and they uh, scream and they whisper and they do all this stuff. And they're just sort of... And we were asked by our ego that we made to catch a hold. When we fail to do that, it just slips by. And the dream lessens. And the ego becomes more faint. And we begin to realize that it's actually possible to go through it an entire day and be happy. We did not believe that was possible. It's actually possible to go through a week and have several days during the week in which you feel completely at peace, you feel very gentle and very happy. This does not seem like a possibility in the beginning. It seems like happiness attacks us. You know, we don't know when it's coming. (laughs) And then we defend ourselves against it, you know, very strongly. The way to go through the day is the way life plays on water. Have you ever watched, have you ever just sat by a stream and just watched the light play on the water, cascade down the little ripples and so forth? The light doesn't hurt itself and it doesn't hurt the water. It just plays on the water. It does a little light dance on the water. And the light doesn't care whether the water is polluted or whether it's uh, rapids, or whether it's a very sluggish stream, the light will play on it anyway. And the way we go through life and be happy is simply to do this light dance. And the dream is the water. and We just let it slip by. So we make our goal to be happy in everything that we do. This seems like such an impossible thing in the beginning. To simply wake up in the morning and say I will be happy in everything that I do today. Now this, this entails some awareness because there will be these hitches. We will catch a hole. And so One of the first reactions, one of the first new habits that we develop is to simply step back when we notice this. When we notice that we're mixing Raid raid into the Gerbers, you see. And we know, we realize that we've gotten mad at our child, you see. It's a little tip-off there. (coughs) Or... Our spouse wakes up uh, in the middle of the night and says, uh, there's a brown recluse on my nose. (laughs) And we pretend to be asleep. (laughs) Now that's a little tip-off, you see. And what we do whenever there is this little hitch is that we just step back a little bit and see if there isn't a way to proceed more comfortably. This is one of the first habits that that can be easily developed on a spiritual path. You just get up in the morning and you'll say, I'm going to try to be happy in everything that I do today. It's happy to be happy. Ego doesn't understand that at all. That's, that's, uh, that logic is just mind-boggling to the ego. Happy to be happy? I like to be happy, you see. Ego can't understand that. That is just way beyond it, you see. I like to be, I think I will just be happy in all that I do today. I will at least make the effort to be happy in all that I do. And so there's a little hitch. The toast burns, you see. All right. And of course, it always burns on that side of the toaster. And uh, why are we so surprised that it does that again this morning, you see? But I, w- I can be happy. So you're just a little stepping back. You just see if there's a way to proceed comfortably. So you pick up the toaster and you drop it in the wastebasket. <laughs> <laughs> It's a very interesting thing that happens when we develop that very simple habit of just proceeding like light proceeds on water. Gently and happily so that when our mind gets caught up in criticizing someone we notice it and we just gently let it go. We don't start a battle with ourselves. Just let it go. We start to get angry at someone who crosses in front of us and we're going down the street we notice it and we let it go the light doesn't hurt itself it doesn't hurt the water it just plays on the water as the water passes by it doesn't stop the passing of the water it doesn't impede it in the least but look how brilliantly it plays upon it there couldn't be any more activity any more beauty than the light playing on the water without even touching it. And the thing that happens is that it's as if we have a, have sunglasses on. So the ego is like an unreal layer that stands between us and the real world. A Course in the Miracles calls the real world the dream of Christ. So it says that the first step before you enter heaven, or you awake, or you ascend, or you're translated, or you're whatever term you want to use, uh, go to heaven, whatever you want to say, the first thing that happens is that you learn to look beyond the veil, quite ugly, cruel veil of the ego to what the Course calls the dream of Christ, the dream of complete forgiveness. So there is a counter-dream. There are two worlds, both of which are unreal. But one reflects the truth of God, and the other doesn't. And so we merely pass, our vision passes from one dream to another dream. So, for example, we begin to see that everyone really yearns for goodness deep. Within his heart, we begin to sense this about people. They really want to be good, no matter how violently they may occasionally behave. There, the vision has passed beyond the personality and seen something universal within the heart of everyone. It still is a dream because it's not the truth of God, but it reflects the truth of God. It is, it is a perfect reflection of the truth of God. And so once we accept fully and finally the dream of Christ, once we realize that it's okay to be happy all the time, then we won't be afraid to enter God. We won't be afraid to enter heaven or to awaken, whatever way you want to describe that. Because the state that you have now embraced is exactly like heaven, and so it can dissolve into truth. So as we practice this simple happiness, it's like sort of like taking off sunglasses. This unreal layer, this this veil, just sort of falls away. It at first it falls away in moments, and it always falls away gently. Well, not always. Sometimes it can be quite abrupt. But generally, it's a sort of a... You just suddenly find yourself peaceful and happy. And everything is falling into place. And you realize that before, there was was this substance that covered everything. And please notice this, because just noticing it allows it to disappear. Noticing is a light touch... Trying is a heavy touch. It's as if the water now has substance and it's going to do battle with the river and it's going to intrude itself and try to stop the flow of the river. That's what trying is. Noticing is the light playing. Noticing does all the work. So the thing to notice is that there is this goo that's on everything. And it's called fear. There's nothing to do about this. This calls for no change in behavior. You just notice the goo. You notice that there is goo on food now. We've got a lot of it. You people cannot sit in a restaurant and eat without fear. Every single item is a is a is a, a threat. There's this constant dialogue and Analysis of every. If we go through a, 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 a supermarket, reading labels and <laughs> wondering if they put paraffin on the oranges, and you see this, how you see how suddenly this has all become covered. You can't sit down and enjoy a meal. It's like walking through a minefield. You see. Isn't that true? Isn't that we have we've just done that to ourselves, what in the last ten years or something? And the whole subject, as we've mentioned before, about children is become almost the same thing. You can't raise a child in peace now. You might damage their little natures. You see. And so there's this oh, am I doing it right? And oh, you know. This goo, we can't breathe air. Can't breathe the air any longer without fearing it. If we get too close to the street where the cars are going back and forth, this goo, this fear, covers even simple breathing. Notice that it's everywhere. Everywhere. This is the eagle. This is the sunglasses. What do you do about it? You do nothing about it except notice it, and then the sunglasses begin to fade, or, or like those new sunglasses, you know, where they change colors, they begin to lighten, begin to become crystal. And you look beyond what, if it were true, would indeed be terrifying to the peace of God and you become a light dance. and You dance, and you skip through the day. Let me give you a prayer that sums this up. And let me ask you to close your eyes. Get comfortable first, and close your eyes. Now, this is a somewhat shocking prayer to the ego, and there are a number of statements like this in A Course in Miracles. And if you find this prayer uncomfortable, then don't use it. But if you can allow yourself to say these words, I think you'll find that this will lighten your touch and you can go through the day much more easily. I'd like to say the prayer first of all, then have you say it with me, and then let's just pray it together silently for a few seconds. I cannot solve this. I do not know what to do. I only know that I want the peace of God. So here's this river, this life, this day that you've begun, you've awakened in the morning, your day's beginning, the river's flowing. It's a river of problems. You're going to play on it, do you see? Your mind catches hold of a particular problem. It will do that at this stage. I cannot solve this, I do not know what to do, I only know I want the peace of God. So let's say that together. I cannot solve this, I do not know what to do, I only know I want the peace of God. Let's pray that silently together for just a few seconds. Okay, now what we've talked about so far is very much like what we've talked about the last uh, 10 or 12 Sundays, this noticing, this simplicity, this gentleness. Now I'd like to talk about effort. I'd I'd like to talk about doing things. And this is where the misery comes in, because whenever anything is talked about in these terms, the ego steps in. And and says, a change in behavior is called for. So if ever you hear anyone quoting A Course in Miracles, or me, or Jerry Jampolsky, or anyone who who represents A Course in Miracles, quoting them as saying, you shouldn't do so-and-so, or you should do so-and-so, that's totally inaccurate. If we have said anything like that, we made a mistake. Because that is the light trying to jam itself into the river. Instead of just letting it (coughs) pass by. So I'm going to give you some things you can do. But they should only be done if they make you happy at the moment. The first one we've talked about a little bit. You learn to detect when you are beginning to press hard, when you're beginning to be unhappy, when you're beginning to uh, battle with something, when something is beginning to become an issue, when there is some stress. You learn to detect this. This is something to do. This is a goal you can actually embark on. You can actually, as you go through the day, watch very carefully, and when you begin to see this grinding, then you know that you have started down an unhappy road, you've begun a useless journey, and you can step back. Now, here's a couple ways in which we commonly do this. Once again, this does not call for a change in behavior. Notice that when you are in a group, when you're in a social event, or you're out with another couple, or something like that, that there is a tendency for couples, especially married couples, to put down their spouse humorously. So here's the underlying statement that's being made. Just notice this. There's nothing to do about it. don't don't try to not do it or try to stop other people from doing it or coldly dissociate yourself from the conversation because that just makes everybody feel guilty and so forth but notice that there's this theme my spouse is no fun it's no fun to be married I would much rather be single it's a chore and a bore to have a spouse (laughs) <clears throat> that's the thing now that's not stated that way it's stated in little little humorous anecdotes uh, your spouse is away for a while you know so and so had to go home for a while and it uh, oh it was so you know I just had so much freedom it was just so great you know that you know, you know you know the kind of little humorous things that I'm talking about just notice that now if you will participate in that with genuine humor and joining there's no harm done but if there's that little edge to it like there's a little bit of truth to this then you're starting down an unhappy road. And this is going to lead to some very big bumps when you get home or some other time, you see. There's a second thing that we do, those of us who have uh, kids, especially young kids. We go out with another couple. Same kind of thing. There's this humor that goes on. And underlying the humor is the statement, uh, I don't like to be with my child. My child is such a hassle. It's so time-consuming. I would much rather be free. So there's this jockeying of position as to who's going to sit next to the child, you see. So here you're with the couple, you see, and and all the men get down at the end of the table where they don't have to take care of the child, you see. And the mothers have to get up and take the child to the bathroom and, and say, no, don't throw a catch up on the people behind you (laughs) don't sit in your jello I've told you so many times not to sit in your jello I actually saw a mother volunteer to take another couple's child to the bathroom it was very heartwarming I'd never seen that before (laughs) And that that little boy just fell in love with that woman and we we wondered I'm not, I'm not supposed to I've been warned so many times not to say this in church but nevertheless here I go again but uh, we just knew that she had a wonderful wiping technique because he was <coughs> that that he was so smitten absolutely smitten with her he just Want to sit on their lap and follow around everywhere you see. So that's the first thing you just notice when you start down the unhappy road. You see. Now the second thing is, and this this one is, uh, Edgar will come in even more on this one, but I can promise you that if you find that you can do this happily, if you like to do this, your progress will be quite rapid if you can begin this one, I'm going to tell you. And if you have studied A Course in Miracles and if you've done the lessons, you've already been doing this, but maybe without realizing it. And that is, you divide your day into segments so that you are going into the world and stepping out of the world. There's some... Uh, TM people here, I see. And uh, in TM, in the beginning, there's uh, three meditations a day. And there this causes this particular effect, where you go into the world, and then you step back from the world. And then you go into it, and then you step back. It doesn't have to be done in that formal manner, uh, but that's a good way to do it. But if you can just as you go through the day, look at it carefully and notice that it, in fact, is already segmented. It's a very interesting phenomenon. <clears throat> this this pattern actually already exists. There are activities, and they seem to have sort of a beginning and an ending, and then there's a shift into another activity. It is not a continual, unrelenting something or another going on. Now, if you will notice this, and if you will set your purpose as the peace of God, and if you've gotten to the point where you really do see that you want the peace of God among among all other things, if you realize that now the only thing you want to do in life is to awaken to love and peace, and if you have begun to sense That to put aside your ego would allow you to be fully helpful to every person on this earth. Just if you've sensed that, if you've sensed that an intense body identification pulls you back from others and keeps you from being helpful and if you've noticed that when you lose yourself in the sense that you lose you lose your intense awareness of your body and its needs and you see how effortlessly it it is how effortless it is to help other people no thought at all just help them and lift their spirits and make them happy and reach out and so forth and and you just suddenly look back and realize you've been doing that for the last three minutes or five minutes or two hours or something. Just very gently, just picking everyone up and you see the connection. It happened when you lost this intense preoccupation with your body and its needs and its goals and its pains and its traumas and its history and all that stuff and for just a moment, that dropped away. And maybe there's just the slightest hint that comes into your mind. What would it be like to lay aside my body and my ego and be of continual help to everyone on this planet? Now, this is a scary thought. You don't have to even you can just dismiss it immediately because it has nothing to do with fear. It has everything to do with the complete relinquishment of fear. Because the preoccupation with the body is, of course, just fear. That's why we retreat into our body and clutch it around us and protect it and do everything like that. It's because we've gotten scared. And we think the body is going to protect us somehow. Of course, it won't. Nothing will protect us. Even our home will not protect us. We can be attacked in our home. We can be raped. We can be robbed in our home. There are people here who have been raped in their home. You can lose your home. Be taken away from you. Your, your home can be a, a place where there is this murderous relationship. It's not a haven at all. Your home will not protect you. Your town will not protect you. Your police department will not protect you. Your body will not protect you. You cannot protect the body. But you can be protected if you enter the peace of God. Now the body is just this something over here. And it goes through whatever it goes through. And you realize there's nothing to be afraid, to let it go a little bit. But all we're asked to do is to notice that we like each increase of fearlessness and happiness. Don't be afraid of awakening in God. Because you are awakening in God. And you are happier now than you used to be. You don't stay upset as long. You don't stay angry as long. You forgive a little more quickly than you used to. You really do forgive a little more quickly than you used to. You're a little more sympathetic, a little more understanding. This indeed makes you happier. You know this. So now when you find that you've gotten very angry over something... A gentle effort begins within you to let go of this, just to push it out, very gently, let it dissolve. Why? Because you like being happy. That happiness is the coming of God. That happiness is an increment of awakening into infinite love and infinite life notice that it wasn't bad at all didn't hurt nothing was taken from you except your misery so don't be afraid of what it will be like to awaken in God because you are finding out what it will be like as you go through the day and you're a little happier and a little happier but your ego will step in and use that argument I don't want to be without a body I don't want to be one with God, stirred up in some celestial soup. (laughs) What does that mean? I don't want any part of that, your ego will say. You don't have to have any part of that because you will go step by step by step back home. And you are doing that. Notice that you like each step. Never will you be asked to take a step that you don't like, nor will you be asked to take a step until you want to take it. Just see that you now want to take it. If you wish to retreat from it, you can retreat from it. Course in miracle says, do, don't be afraid that you're going to be shoved into heaven. <laughs> so if it makes you happy to do this, divide your day into segments notice that there are these segments step into the world do whatever it is you have to do it doesn't matter where you are what's going on step back just step back for a few seconds if it makes you happy to do that now you're making the peace of God more important than the world you step back from the world You're now willing to actually break from a conversation or a situation that you don't like or a movie that you don't want to sit through or something like that and go into the restroom for a moment or go take a walk for just a second or two. Why? Because you want your contact with God and you want it more than anything else. And you realize you've lost contact with God. And you want it again. And so you do something very simple and immediate. You just step back. You're not going to seek some perfect communication with God. Just a little God. Just a little sweetness of Jesus going through you. Here's the third thing. You didn't know these were numbered, did you? (laughs) See, the first one is you learn to detect when you're starting down an unhappy road. The second one is you let your day be in and out and the third one is and this one you've really got to watch out for Edgar on this one Edgar will try to make this a very unhappy suggestion pretend that you can heal now this can be a lot of fun if you will do it only from the standpoint that it makes you happy to do it now. Now, you're not going to try to heal anybody in the future.
1: You're not going
0: to try to get any results. You're not going to keep looking over your shoulder. Pretend that you already know enough to heal yourself and anyone else. You will be surprised at what you can already do to heal yourself and someone else. You'll be surprised at the imageries that will just come into your mind the minute you say, I think I'll just pretend that I can heal this person. What would I do if I were the greatest healer on earth? How would I think about this situation? I were Jesus. Joel Goldsmith, Mary Becker Eddy, Brother Mandus, whoever you want to, what would I do? And do it. It's all right to make an effort if you see you like to make the effort. It's all right, for example, to uh, make a phone call that would be a little bit embarrassing to you to make if you see that it will make you more peaceful to make the phone call and now you go through this little bit of embarrassment because the peace of God is more important than the embarrassment now Edgar's going to step in immediately uh, you're going to find yourself uh, Uh, squatting down and making little mug packs and putting on people's eyes and uh, (coughs) making statements like pick up your bed and walk. (coughs) See? See, they they didn't have beds this big in those
1: days. (laughs) You
0: have to understand this. See, they had little mats, you see. there's a part of you that remembers home it's in you right now as you sit here there's a part of your mind that remembers home there's a part of your mind that has not left home there's a part of your mind that is at one with God at this very moment and is not afraid of that and realizes that there's nothing to fear from peace and happiness. This will take nothing away from you. This will not make you less special. Ruin your life. Keep it from having grandeur. Throw it off track. This will not dash your hopes to remember the part of you that is already home. So there is a piece of you as you sit here. There is a piece of you that is home, that's with God, that rejoices at your awakening, that works for your happiness and your peace. Join with me and let's practice remembering that because that would be the fourth thing that you can do. If you would like to make an effort, you can take moments during the day To remember your home. There's a part of you that remembers it. Don't try to remember it perfectly. Don't tell yourself how you will feel when you remember it. Don't judge and ask yourself how well did you remember it. Just allow yourself to remember it a little bit. Just be a little bit peaceful. So let me give you one final prayer. if you close your eyes I'm going to use the word father as The Course in Miracles uses obviously there is no gender to infinite love use whatever words you wish I will use the word father I have never left home father You love me. And I am so happy to be at rest in you. i will say that again. I've never left home, Father. You love me. And I am so happy to be at rest in you. Okay, let's say it all together. I have never left home, Father. You love me. And I am so happy to be at rest in you. Now, for just a moment, see if you can let your heart move past those words and experience just a little bit of what it would be like to rest in God forever and forever and forever and to never again have a single care